Welcome to another dumb podcast. I am Brad C. Welcome, welcome. Uh, with me is my podcast mate, Jacob. I would call him my macho man to Hulk Hogan. Is that a good comparison, Jacob? Uh, yeah. I, well, I don't always. Know, what's a wrestler that's on like once every two months? <laughs> yeah, I'll be that wrestler. Exactly. You are a Hulk Hogan who shows up to the pay-per-views, is yeah, what, what it yeah. would be. Yeah, when's right the now. next major? <laughs> yeah. Like Tiger, Tiger post-fire hydrant. Yes, and Jacob is newly 35, I think it is 35, now? 35, big dog. Yeah, 35. And, uh, and now our... crisis has just begun. And it's not just a regular Another Dumb Podcast, which is, this is what this is. Now, um, we have a special guest today, and uh, I guess I would call him maybe the... Uh, Jim Ross of of Dallas Mavericks. It, he he agrees. Okay, the good. Okay, da- Jacob, you agree with that? Yeah, I'll pretend I know who Jim Ross is. Well, Go on. He's not he's not the lawyer in Arlington. He is the the fa- the uh, famous WWF announcer. Okay. But, but today we have Mark Followell of the Dallas Mavericks, the voice of the Mavericks. Yay! Whoa! Yay! Mark. Did you guys know that, uh, well, Jacob doesn't know this, Brad right, might remember, did you know that uh, Re- Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan eventually like split up over Miss Elizabeth, remember? Yes, many, yeah, they have had their, uh, and, and this is why I say, me and Jacob get don't get along a lot at times, <laughs> but whenever we're good to make money together, we're, we're on it, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's yeah, what Hulk Hogan... What were they, uh, were they, they were the superpowers? Is that what they were, uh, when they were a tag team together? And then, yeah, then, then Randy Savage said that, uh, Hulk Hogan was trying to like move in on Miss Elizabeth and the whole thing like blew up. Yeah. They got, they got pretty good heat. So yeah, but it's funny, uh, with Macho Man, he always said, if you like Hulk Hogan, he's like, I always like making money with him. That's all. That's it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's wrestling lingo, by the way, Jacob, when somebody says that they got good heat. Yeah. Got good heat. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I can tell you, the crowd, like the crowd was really pissed off at you if you got good. So, heat, so. I, I I burned bright and hot in about 1999 for uh, WCW. <laughs> Which is a weird Wolfpack time. It's a weird time that, to get into wrestling. That yeah. was the that was the Attitude Era. That was the Monday Night Wars and all that business. I but he only got into WCW. WWF. I don't know why I never got into WWF. I guess I just only had so much brain space for wrestling, and it was all taken up by WCW. Yeah. Those were good times, though. Yeah, you didn't want to get into the Attitude Era of the WWE. His, WWF par- his parents time. wouldn't let him watch that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations on being newly 35. Earlier this year, I'm newly 50. So, oh, man. Hey, milestones. I think we about s- that, man? Yeah. Man, how, how fast does it go from 35 to 50? Because 20 to 35 was like a snap of the finger. Um, depends on which day you ask me. Some days I feel like it was a snap of a finger, and some days 35 feels like a lifetime ago. So mm-hmm. it's, you know... Uh, I, I, yeah, it just, it just depends on the day, man. Well, yeah, 
Uh, Mark, uh, we have you on again. And for the folks who didn't get to listen to that podcast, you should go listen to that. It was, uh, it was 12 not, months ago, right? It was, it was literally in May of last year. Okay. May. Okay. Mark's like, yeah. I did this podcast. I don't I remember. remember. Okay. Yep. Honestly, like, like as a sign of, as a sign of how time do, doesn't, does or doesn't go quickly. I felt like it was not that far back. I did not realize no. that it was 13 months ago. Not at all. Has anything happened since then? Yeah. Um, no. Or... Yeah. No, well, yeah. What the reason was. Exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. Like when we had Mark on, it was almost like, well, we, we're going to have Mark on and not going to have a lot of basketball to talk about because there was no basketball. And we were just right. kind of like, uh, so where did you grow up? Well, this <laughs> this one we might have a. How are you doing today? <laughs> what do you do for fun? So <laughs> this one we might have a little bit more meat on the bone for this one because, yeah, we were like, as soon as and this is just for me when when Carlisle uh, made his exit, I was I got I got on the phone with Jacob and go, we need follow, we got to have him on, Brad. <laughs> Brad, go ahead. Can I, before we get to current events, can I make one comment and ask Mark one question? You can do Is that all okay the things. You? Yeah. So, Mark, um, my comment is, for me, this was the most fun I've ever had watching a Mavs season ever since the uh, title run. And it's it, it caused me to tune into a lot of the ticket segments with Yuan and a lot of the postgame shows. And it, it never ceases to amaze me how prepared and professional you are every time you're on the air and i really really enjoy that that's my oh, thank comment. you oh i was gonna okay so it was the that, chris farley the it was the chris farley line we're, jacob had hold on we're gonna throw it his head for the rest of the time so just, <laughs> i'm gonna get that out there now but my question is yeah. would you agree it was the most fun math season um since the title run um that's a that's a good question I don't know, um, because there were still look. There was still a lot of weirdness this year with empty arenas. True. Um, you know the games were coming so fast and furious. Um, you know, like we played thirty-eight games in sixty-eight days after the All Star break, which is that is just freaking crazy. Yeah. True. So, um, I appreciate you saying that, but I would probably say for me, no, it was not. Okay. Um, to me, if I'm going to pick the most fun season post-title, um, I would probably lean towards the Monte, Jose Calderon, take the Spurs to uh, seven games in the first round. You know, Dirk was an all-star that year still. Yeah. Um, you know, th that was that was a fun year. Brandon Wright, D'Alembert, um, you know, Jay Crowder. That was, that was a fun season, man. What year was that? Okay. That was the 2013-14 season. Yeah, I guess it just depends on the perspective you're watching it from, right? I guess for you, it's all more or less the same, right? You're broadcasting the games. You're doing the ticket segments. Kind of the same routine every year. But for me, like during that season, I, was, um, I wasn't able to watch many games because I was grinding away in, at TCU trying to graduate. Sure. And now, what a this humble season, brag. You know, especially late in the year during the playoffs, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm around my friends. We're 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 yelling at the TV at every Tim Hardaway layup in the first quarter, and it was just right. a really fun perspective from my point of view. So, yeah, I guess with you, you get a much more objective perspective. Well, look, uh, and again, I really appreciate what you said about the preparation and all that kind of stuff. And what I would say, and I don't know if remember we discussed this on the last podcast. And so, before you guys start throwing 
Sorry, I did not turn my phone down. I was about to say, Jacob, stop. Oh, it's just Mark. Hey, Mark, whatever. <laughs> that was me. That was me. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry. It's okay. completely okay. fine. Right. So, our phone is turned down now. All right. Fine. So, um, the, the I don't know we discussed it last time, but rule number one of Follow Well Broadcasting, and, and preparation applies to this, but also enthusiasm on the air applies to this, and that is... If I don't sound like I give a shit about the game I'm calling, then how in God's name could I expect somebody sitting home on the couch to give a shit about the game if I don't sound like I do? So that's a great that's always yeah. rule number one of the way that I approach games. And like I said, that manifests itself through being prepared um, because you never know when the 12th guy in the team is going to do something big. And that doesn't mean just for the Mavericks. That can mean for the opponent. And I think it's you got to prepare to say things good about the opponent. Because, number one, look, it's hard as hell to get to the NBA. So I respect everybody who gets to the league. And two, look, you would sound really, you would sound like such a dumbass, I think. You would lo really lose your credibility. If you said a lot of negative things or didn't say much or didn't have a real clue about the guys on the other team, and then what if two years later that person's on the Mavericks and then you act like they're the greatest thing since sliced bread? You know, so I think you have to be prepared for the opponent. You have to be able to say uh, good things about them, respectful things about them, know what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then, you know, uh, the enthusiasm thing, you know, it just gets back into if I'm not enthusiastic about it, then why would Jacob and Brad sitting at home, you know, be enthusiastic about it? If I sound like it's ho-hum, just another day at the office, then, uh, you know, people people might watch the game that way. And that doesn't make my way the right way because I promise you, um, like politics, no broadcaster has a hundred percent approval rating. And so I promise you, I've got my haters out there, but what? Know, I'm doing it the way I think it should be done. I gotta say, I, I, I know people that dislike Chuck Morgan somehow, but I've never heard anybody criticize no. me. No, I, uh, well, I, I, so I, I promise you, they're out there. I was just about to tell you, I was like, follow well seems like the most like, I don't know. Highest how, approval rating. Of yeah, I, he's gotta be, I'm trying to think of a uh, someone with a high high approval rating. Uh, he's like the opposite of Congress. Like he, right. he, his, his approval rating is great. So, and and I think that's again that's how I mean you don't know this, but th that's kind of how you and my relationship started. Was Followell got me into basketball whenever basketball was never a part of my life. It was more or less a baseball, football type of thing, and Mark goes where i just plainly asked him on twitter this was years ago this is maybe like oh six oh seven type of thing going how can you make me interested in basketball and you go this this and this and this i don't even remember what you said but i was like yeah. okay let's go for it and then i watched <laughs> it and i go said. yeah but and it's what it was you you got on the mic and you were you made me excited about what the mavs were doing and it was easy. That, that, those were easy days, though. I mean, Dirk, Dirk was an easy guy to be like, all right, that's, you know, that's that's a good guy to be around uh, to sure. want to watch. Whereas, you know, some of those years, uh, it, it was kind of hard. I have to. Yeah, admit. sure. You know, I think the thing too with Dirk is that, you know, we're not just covering games, and this applies to any sport, any that anybody is doing, whether you're doing it for a national network or whether you're a team broadcaster or whatever. We're not just doing games; we're we're covering people playing games, and so I mean that's what I mean. What made Dirk so incredible here is that he spent 21 years here, but he let his guard down so we could get to know him and realized what a freaking awesome dude he was. And that he was funny and had a sense of humor and was self-deprecating and 
Um, you know, there was just so many, and, and incredibly philanthropic, but also did it in a way that was from the heart, and he didn't he didn't do it in a way to put on a show or anything like that. So there's just, I mean, look, we could go on and on about no, that. No, no, I think that's that's a pretty good point of, like, yeah, how Dirk was. <laughs> Dirk didn't do it, you know, uh, not to use a term that can be controversial, but, like, in a virtue-signaling way, it just, like, it seemed like Dirk was just, man, he really wanted to do what, you know, do the good thing on that but you know like the whole bit the, the whole bit with his or not bit but the whole deal with his uh visits to children's hospital that he would make to be uncle dirk he'd be the santa claus like about a week or two before christmas mm -hmm. you know that those nobody he would not allow any media to go to those until finally brad townsend worked on it and worked on it and finally convinced him to go you know probably about 2015 or something like that after it had been known that he'd been doing it for a decade and then That's finally incredible. Yeah, Brad, you know, went along and, um, you know, told the story of it. And if you remember Dirk's last home game, they did something during a timeout in the second quarter about that. Mm -hmm. Dirk talking about that, or Brad talking about his visit and the story that he wrote. And then that's when Dirk looked up at, at that and started crying, you know, like during the game. So yeah. that was just... Wow. I'm not sure yep. I even uh, missed that whole thing, but yeah, that's, that's I'm not surprised though. That, that's no, the least surprising thing ever. See, see how I keep you guys from throwing in my head by bringing. Yeah, up the I was, I was gonna, all right. Let's get to the heaters. No, well, uh, well, can I? Well, we were gonna get on. We're gonna get to the the meat of it, but then I wanted, I kind of wanted to jump to a topic that is interesting to me, and I've brought up to Jacob, is the kind of Luca versus Dirk um, phenomenon now. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it seems like Luca is just. It's it's hard to describe fully, but like okay, pound for pound, Luca's going to be, if not, as good as Dirk, probably better. Now, putting all it around though, Luca is yeah he's not maybe the most. Um, I, I want to say not likable. He seems likable, but he obviously does rub people the wrong way with some of he's his not a saint like Dirk. yeah Dirk, I, I, it's, that's a hard that's a hard shoes to fill though like you're just yeah, like i don't know i just like opinion. you're just kind of like i like playing basketball I, I, I that's all i've got for you whereas i think that I, and i think that i I've, i know that i've tried to say this in some interviews before that we have to let luca be his own person because there's never going to be another Dirk. you know no. we just have to come to terms with that and i think that that's hard for fans and to be perfectly honest with you i think that might be challenging organizationally for us with the mavs that we have to realize that uh it, there's never going to be another dirk it's very easy to like want to start comparing luca to dirk because the transition happened there were they had the overlap of a season it's you know another player coming from europe and so it's it's you know it's it's easy to make the comparison but there's just never going to be another dirk and that's fine that luca's not dirk he can be his mm -hmm. own person with his you know own things that he does um you know i think it's clear that we've seen from some past situations that uh you know he's also very philanthropic as well um, you know, so he's a great guy also. I just don't think he's as uh, self-deprecating and unguarded about himself as, as Dirk was. Yeah. And, and some yeah. of it probably is growing up in a time where, you know, grow, Dirk grew up in a time of a little bit more innocence. Uh, there wasn't social media around. Everybody wasn't walking around with a recording device in their hand all the time. Good point. Yeah. And now I think that the, you have to be uh, a lot more guarded about who you are because there's somebody out there looking to turn the slightest misstep into a big negative. Yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah. I, I think 
to go with the Luca thing, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a... <sighs> I don't know if it's a humble beginnings thing because, I mean, he comes from... I'm sorry. I was about to get his country wrong. He's from Slovenia, right? Yes. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Your Mavs fans, <laughs> the people who follow you are about to be like really bad. Is it Slovakia or Slovenia? <laughs> but, you get it mixed up. It happens. Yeah. But, I mean, you, you got a kid who's... I mean, he's been probably famous since he was like 16, maybe? Oh, well, I mean, that. I think earlier than that. Earlier yeah. than that. So, I mean, yeah, it's, man, it's hard to stay a humble when you're that famous that early. Where mm-hmm. Dirk, I think, I don't think he grew up that way, especially in Germany. He had kind of maybe a, I don't know if he, it's, it's how do you keep that humbleness all the way through a 20-year career, which you, you are undoubtedly a Hall of Famer and you won you know, the NBA finals. I mean, how do you even do that? And he, he managed to do something like that. Well, Brad, the only thing I'll add to that is dirt was a son of a bitch on the court, especially later in his career. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think after Oh six, like, I think he got angrier. He was yeah. no off shucks guy on the court. No, 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 yeah. no, no. He liked to kick your ass for sure. For sure. And Luke is that way now. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to see a guy in his, you know, third year this year and say, Hey, you know, if, how can he act like he's been in the league? Well, he has been, just not in this particular league. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he was playing with he was playing with grown men and winning the biggest championships that you could win if you're playing professional basketball in Europe. So he looks at these refs like I don't have to earn anything. I've been doing this. You yeah. Know, I think Jake said that a couple of years ago in his rookie year. He's like, I'm a grown man already. Treat me like one. And the refs would look at him like I don't know you. Yeah, like literally. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea yeah. who you are. And he's like, come on, man. Like, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a tough deal. But I mean, and yeah. it, it all comes back to this. Uh, the reason I brought the whole Luca versus Dirk thing is uh, Luca did some interview and apparently he was just not into any bit of it. But, I, you know, I kind of was like, well, he's just from Dirk from day one, though, was the dude he who he is now i mean i guess he was still kind of learning english in store so there was kind yeah. of this um humbleness to that but yeah i mean i don't know go back I, and watch i mean if you ever i don't know if any of them exist but if you went back and watched some of dirk's very very first interviews when he still probably wasn't totally comfortable with the language and was shy he would begin a lot of his every answer with well obviously you know, he would, that was kind of a crutch phrase. Or I remember one night watching him, like one of his first interviews when uh, he was on like Dale Hansen's sports special. And I think, you know, he was just nervous. And so every answer before he would even say anything, just I think to, to get himself going, he would like sit there and think about his answer and go, you know, like, like that. He would, I mean, literally he's like right. blowing his limbs just out of some sort of nervous habit. So it took Dirk a while to find his groove too. Um, you know, in yeah. terms of his interview, of his interview skills, if you will. Yeah. Well, I think he's, I, I think Luke is doing fine. I, I mean, the criticisms that they have on him right now are, I think, pretty minimal. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> with a guy who's that talented, it's kind of the, uh, you're allowed to have your, uh, your, what is it? The, the fungus on your shoes and, you know, you're on your uh, shower shoes. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm okay with it. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, from from me and my perspective, I'm like, well, Luca wouldn't be so mad at the rest if they would do a better job. 
And then the rebuttal I get on Twitter is, what, are the refs supposed to call a foul every time he drives the lane? I said, yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> they can't guard him. So, yes, call a foul every single time. Yeah. But Dirk eventually got those two, so. I he mean, did. And, yeah. and look, yeah. I mean, Luca was um, – I think he was third in the league in free throws attempted per game, second or third, two years ago. And last year, um, you know, he was, I think, maybe sixth or seventh or eighth or somewhere in that. In Let's that pump those so numbers still, up, refs. Yeah, so he's still getting way up there. Yeah. yeah, I want more. But I have to ask, though. I mean, The question I, is, yeah. you know, uh, if you're going to look at a hole in his game right now, it's can it, is he going to make them at a high enough That's percentage when he gets there? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I – okay, uh, other than the bitching at the refs and some other stuff – from the things that I was saw, okay, I have to admit, guys, again, it's really been hard. It's been a long road to, from 2011 to now mm-hmm. to getting back to watching the Mavs. The the COVID, whatever the heck that was last year, that was hard. That was hard for me to watch. The bubble, the bubble, the, bu- the bubble games were just hard for me to watch. It was not. It was not fun. It finally got fun because Mavs are in the playoffs. Mavs have crowds. They're just playing basketball. It, mm-hmm. That's where it got better at it, but uh, mm-hmm. kind of forgot where I was going to go with that one. Um, Luca and free throws. Yes, yeah. yes. With Luca and the free throws, that's the only thing that I, I kind of was glaring to me. I go, he's not great at that. I mean, I don't know what it is because, it, but again, it's kind of like, well, Luca's not great at uh, interviews. Well, will he get better at that though? Will he, or is that just? I don't know. I, I, expl- I don't know. Explain that to well, me. As far as look, two things. As far as interviews go, I think that. He, in my time of being around him, I think that he, you know, likes his teammates and I think he doesn't like to put all the focus on himself. So I think that he defers to say things about his teammates in interviews. And I just don't think he, you know, is all into talking about himself. And he gets asked so many questions about, you know, all these milestones and things like that. And I think after a while, I mean, Lucas just realizes that, hey, and he even said it after someone asked him about his performance in game seven and the series. Uh, it's like it doesn't matter. We didn't win, so yeah. you know. I mean, I think some of uh, some some of Luca's uh, number one. It's not his first language when he's doing interviews in English, or second, uh, or third, or yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think sometimes he's asked so many questions about himself, and I just frankly don't think that's what he's really into talking about. Right. Um, as far as free throws, look, I'm no shot doctor, um, so I can't give you like a really great breakdown of it. But if I were to throw a theory out, and I've said this on the ticket. Luca, as you guys have watched him, I think you recognize that he is in improvisational scenarios. The shot clock's winding down, the possession's going to hell in a handbasket, and Luca does something incredible. Uh, you have two seconds to win a game in Memphis, and the ball goes into Luca, and he shoots an off balance running one handed three pointer and makes mm-hmm. it. He thrives in, like I said, it just everything's going to hell in a handbasket sort of scenario. A free throw is not about improvisation and not about making chicken salad out of chicken shit now it's about uh process and routine and calming yourself down and doing things the same way every time and um i I think that's just you know i I think it's hard for him because i think his his skill and his you know what makes him a great player is his ability to do all the things that he does on the fly within the flow of the game and a free throw going to the free throw line is not that he can do it because he started last year i mean up until uh, remember when we had the week off for games, the maps had the two games canceled because of the winter storm in mid-February. Yes. He was at about 79% at free throw line at that point. And then for the rest of the year, I think he shot 64, 65% for the rest yeah. of the season. 
it looked to me like in the playoffs especially, he got into a, a streak where he missed a few in a row, and it was almost like he would go to the line, get ready to shoot, pause, think about it, and then yeah. miss. Yeah. And it, it was like, this is just mental. This has nothing to do with his 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 form or shooting ability. It's just all in his head because he actually has time to think about it. Like you said, Memphis, you know, two seconds on the clock, he's not thinking about anything. Right. He's just letting the talent flow. He's on the free throw line. He's thinking – crap i've missed my last three i'll probably miss this one too and you know, voila misses another one yeah for sure sure you know the one thing about form and again i'm no shot doctor but sometimes when he got in those bad stretches and i don't know what this this may say that he doesn't have a routine and a process is the misses sometimes would be all over the place it's like one misses left one misses right one yeah. misses short one misses long and so um, I don't know, man. I, I just these are all just kind of my theories on it. Um, you know, and people smarter than me are going to have to figure that out. Well, interesting. I, I I'm confident that he can. I actually am confident that he can figure this out. It just kind of like I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I needed re- reassurance that yeah, he'll be able to figure this out. Because because well, I so think it, I think I go with Jacob that yeah, it's a little bit of mental, but at the same time, what is the um, what is the history on that? Did you eventually get better at it or do you kind of stay pretty stagnant or, or sure. what is the I mean, a lot of guys, a lot of guys have drastically improved their free throw percentage over their careers. I mean, some guys, this is always why, like, I, I don't like that the league started instituting rules to try to prevent intentional fouling because there have been guys like Blake Griffin was a second year in his career. Blake Griffin shot 52% or something like that at the free throw line. And then he routinely got up to be a high 70s, low 80% guy. Um, and there are plenty of other – I'm sorry I can't think of like some really good examples right now. Well, that's now. a pretty good one because I, well, I, I do remember him being pretty awful at that. So. Yeah. Shaq barbecued our ass in 06 in the finals on free throw line, so yeah. there's that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so um, I mean, look, if you put in the work, um, you know, you can, you, can get, you can get better. But there are guys who it does get in their head. Um, so, you know, who knows how this is all going to play out with him, but if it's any consolation three years into his career, look in all three seasons, he shot over 70%. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think 71, 73, 73, I think are his percentages, something like that. Each, each year has been in the low seventies. Uh, that's a little bit below average. The league average this year was over 77%, but, uh, remarkably this year in a year where he struggled at the line, uh, especially in the second half of the season for the whole year, he was still 15 out of 18 in uh, clutch free throw situations. So, okay. That's a good uh, stat. Yeah. Last five minutes of the game when it was within five points, that's not a lot of free throws in those situations, to be honest with you, but he was 15 of 18 in free throws in those situations. Okay. But that's good. We'll so roll with that. <clears throat> All right. Should we try to fix the current Mavs? Yeah. Well, again, like going back to this is Mark Falwell's second uh, appearance. We didn't have anything to talk about with the Mavs. This is the exact opposite. We have just so much going on. And, um, you know, Donnie Nelson's gone. Carlisle's gone. And there's this influx of this um, Bob. I just call him Bob. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've, I've messed up his real name like 15 times. But, uh, I mean, there's so much going on. Now it's, okay, obviously you gotta you got to find your, your GM first, which right. I still think they're – at the same time, I think they're probably still – know who their head coach is going to be at the same time. I know they say they're going to get the GM, but I think they'll probably have that locked down regardless. So you don't think they'll let the GM have a, a big say in the head coach? 
<laughs> well, or do they already know who the GM is too? I, I think they already know. Who the, I don't know why they deferred to this uh, 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 worldwide uh, this this consulting group. Uh, by the way, which Jacob, you and me need to start a consulting group. Absolutely. Yeah, we need with it's with podcasting. With we'll start with podcasting. Because, yeah, podcasting consulting group. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely show you like cut that out. No one wants to hear that. Do That's that. That's right. Have follow on. You're good. I um, think that, I think that there are other teams, and and I can't even remember Sportsology or something like that is the name of the consulting group. I think there are other teams that use it, and I think one of the one of the things that people like about that is that part of its its purpose is to vet candidates and by that uh independently you know, right what's that independently yes it's to vet them independently and it's also to vet backgrounds um, okay yeah because in the world that we live in of course You've you know uh, yeah you don't you don't want some sort of thing buried in the past to all of a sudden resurface uh so so i think that's probably another part of why you have those yeah. consult that consulting firm now uh, is that they're out there vetting backgrounds of everybody to make sure, uh, you know, especially if you're going uh, a more inexperienced route, which I don't know what they're going to do. But let's just say that you're going for an assistant GM somewhere that you're going to promote into a GM role, somebody who's been on a, on a, in a, in a good organization. You say, OK, this guy's learned from another good GM. Let's promote an assistant GM to be our GM. Uh, that person might not be. You know, people may not know a whole lot about his background. He's not somebody that's been in the media spotlight. So, you know, you want to vet people's backgrounds. And I think that's part of the reason why you bring in that independent consulting firm. Did you see the tweet about the Steinline report today, Mark? I did. The one that said, I'm sorry? What are your thoughts there? I'm not surprised. So just to cover, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, I was going to read it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about the one where he said that, it's it's highly likely that Michael Finley will be one of a, a of a dual executive leadership for the Mavericks. Basically. Yes, it and they're be... not looking at other executives like Usury or Danny Ainge. Yeah, those Isaiah guys. Jury, yeah. yeah, and Danny Ainge. Mm-hmm. So so it says that that there would be there will be an external executive hired, and then Finley is a strong candidate to also be part of the leadership team, and so you can have a president of basketball operations. Um, who sets the the uh, vision for you know what they want to do as a franchise and what kind of players they want to acquire and uh, you know uh, how aggressive we're going to be in free agency and you know what are we going to do when it comes to draft time although they don't have a pick this year and then you can have a general manager uh, who's making the phone calls and doing a lot of the legwork and stuff like that or you can flip flop you know the the roles don't have to go with those titles you can be however you want to delineate it but point is yes I, I i kind of thought all along that that's what would happen is that mike would have a role of part of the leadership team and then there would be an external executive probably somebody who's got a lot more experience and and that would be how they end up assembling the front office so okay. it, to maybe put an analogy to it is it kind of like a closer by committee type thing where i mean in a sense of yeah, there's this guy. He he's the head of basketball, but then, but it's a full on group uh, process of, you know, uh, acquiring guys and everything else. I guess there's not one head. Well, like if you mean okay, if you're saying like closer by committee, does that mean that two people 
uh, you know, if Mike has contacts with an organization and he can work his contacts there and end up facilitating some sort of trade or or uh, the ex the executive that comes in has contacts elsewhere or uh, has a really good relationship with an agent. So he's going to be able to have the freedom to facilitate a deal and sign somebody. And they both have this ability to independently operate. Is that your, that's is that what I mean by closer? That's, that's, basically, and, and, that's basically it. Yeah. That's a way better explanation than what Brad said. No, I so, am so dumb. Has, no, each person has the, <laughs> theoretically has the ability to uh, negotiate and close a deal, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what Brad meant when he said that. Uh, every bit of that I had, but I just didn't vocalize it very good. <laughs> this is why I have Mark follow along. <laughs> so, uh, no, I mean, but yeah, in, in a sense that, I mean, it's not on one person's shoulders. I mean, here's, here's how this whole thing's going to go, though. It's really on one person's shoulders in a sense. It's on, it's on Mark Cuban's shoulders. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's really where it all goes. And I know there's guys doing the legwork, you know, doing, you know, helping with scouting, doing uh, numbers and all that other stuff. And sure. obviously, you know, Mark, but at the end of the day, it all goes on to one guy. He makes yeah. these decisions. It goes, Hey, right. we're going to do this. Hey, we're going to do that. And this guy goes, yes. And this guy goes, no, no. I mean, right. that, uh, it really goes down to that. I mean, but as as I say, closer by committee in a sense of it's a group. It's 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 a group effort where there's not just one guy doing everything. It seems like Mark Cuban is trying to accumulate enough information in the room so that he can make the best decision. Yes. Personnel or whatever. Well, I mean, on that regard, I mean, on the search, I hope that the committee that they're putting together, which, of course, includes Dirk. And I don't think Dirk would come into a search committee for a general manager if he weren't going to have the space to be able to speak his mind and his opinions be taken very seriously. Right. I don't think Dirk would come in just to be, uh, just to make everybody feel good that, Hey, Dirk's involved in this. I don't, I don't just, I don't think he would walk away from living his best life, which he's been doing post retirement, uh, to, to be just a figurehead in a search committee. So, uh, so hopefully, uh, I think that will be the case that he'll have a voice and everybody else will have a voice in terms of who this new person is. That's, that's part of the executive team. And then I hope that uh, whoever they hire, uh, if somebody's going to come in here and take the job, I would hope that they would be given uh, significant powers, obviously, to be able to operate however they want to operate in terms of charting the course for the team and the vision for the team. It's going to be interesting. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I think if you're going to bring in an external executive uh, that is someone that, uh, this this consulting firm that's going to sign off on uh, everybody else that's on your own organizational committee that includes Derek if they're going to sign off on I would hope that that would be somebody who is a respected enough figure that he'll have the freedom to be uh, you know not look obviously an owner is going to rubber stamp moves because there are financial ramifications to it but I would hope that this this new general manager and the new leadership team is going to have the freedom to be able to make the right kind of decision to make their own decisions. Well, I mean, sorry, <laughs> I had my mic off. But um, yeah, I, I, I had hoped that's. I feel like that can work in a sense where I mean, I, I think the criticism that Mark gets is that he's, hey man, I'm just the owner. Where he's really kind of like uh, Jerry Jones, where he's being GM, but he just didn't want the title, mm -hmm. and that's that's kind of the criticism that. I've seen, and I would say I kind of 
understand in a sense. Um, you can say what you want, by the way. You don't have to soften. I mean, <laughs> I hate that guy. No, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I. I'm <laughs> sorry. Before me and Mark had a had a conversation, I was like, "How yes. much can I? How much can I trash Cuban?" But uh, no, he said, peel, peel, we'll, "We'll peel back the curtain." You asked me beforehand, and this is your show, and you have the right to say whatever you want to say, and you know. I have the right to agree, on disagree, the... defer, say nothing, whatever, man. Get, show, on man. Fire, not, get on the I'm phone, Mark. I'm not going Mark. to sit here and tell you, uh, <laughs> please treat me like a little baby with kid gloves no, and everything. Because, yeah. it, it's because it's, I care, show, and man. I don't uh, – Yeah, it's, beca it's because I care, and I, uh, no, no, I, know, I, I, I have so much respect for you. And I, I, I would never want to put you I, in a precarious uh, I appreciate position. That. And, and, I appreciate that. But I, I, I think it's in a sense of, like, Mark, I mean, you – Sorry, not you, Mark, but the other the other Mark. Like, hey, just put this in the hands of people who know what the hell they're doing. And I'm not saying a sense of rubber stamp, but I mean, like, really don't put... I mean, I will criticize the Finley uh, hire if it's a, you know, hey, man, it's a guy I really trust or whatever. I don't really care who you trust. I want a guy who I know is going to really put the team in the best position not in a in a position that I want, you know, like obviously what it says in that in that uh Stein line is that these guys are not going to be uh, are not going to lead the uh the front office because they're going to have autonomy. And well, and I think and I think I didn't read uh that part of it. I, I mean, this is what it says right here. It okay, says it says uh uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm gonna butcher this guy's name, but he's from Toronto. <laughs> Masai Ujiri. Yeah, uh, and Danny Ainge from Boston are not are not basically going to be uh, considered because uh, they want more autonomy, and that Cuban is, you know is willing to see. So those guys are out because Mark Cuban's going to be like, no, you can't have the entire team and do everything you want. This is still my team. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just. Flat out say yeah. what it is. I mean, and the things that people have been pissed off about Cuban is because. Can I, can I say one thing? Before go ahead. We go go ahead. Farther? Go one ahead. Of, one of the other things too about Masai Ujiri that my understanding is, is that in whatever situation he goes into, he wants equity. He wants an ownership stake in whatever team, and and, and so for, and for that, I'm out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for, for real, I, from my understanding, yeah, okay. and obviously I don't personally know him. I never talked to him, but my my internet reading has has basically been that whatever situation he's in whether it's staying with toronto or going somewhere else is he wants uh some sort of equity ownership stake in a team okay well that's interesting but uh, danny ainge also uh, i would is there any uh again i don't know what his ousting was is there a black uh not whoa, whoa I'm, I'm like a black mark on his record because of his ousting or anything I like that no, I think he's been look. He's been with Boston a long time. Um, I think that if anybody, you know, that any any criticism of Danny Ainge was that uh, for a while he was winning so many trades that supposedly people were like really wary of actually doing a deal and trading with him. But then, you know, the other thing is that uh, you know they accumulated a lot of draft picks and then sat on them for a while and were really reluctant to make moves because I think that they were so consumed with, well, we have to make sure to win the trade. And so I guess, uh, you know, just they had so much draft capital from that Brooklyn deal back in 2013. Remember that deal where 
Boston traded Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Jason Terry to Brooklyn and got three first round picks and the right to swap picks and a couple of other drafts or something like that. And look, they came out of it with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out of that. And so those Pretty two guys players. Were, yeah. I mean, those two guys are the centerpieces of a team that went to the conference finals a couple of years ago, but then the team's taken steps backwards since then. And I, I think maybe the, the view on Ainge is that maybe he didn't maximize all of the assets that they had. And then people who cover the Celtics would probably be able to give you a much better detailed step-by-step -step explanation of it than I could. But from a distance, what I've read is that, yeah, that's at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, the team's been taking steps backwards. Um, you know, this year they barely, I think they finished 500, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, and so they barely got into the playoffs and they got bounced pretty quickly in the first round. And yeah, that, that the feeling was that they accumulated an enormous amount of asset capital Okay. and then didn't maximize it as much as they possibly could have. And the fact that probably it was just, quite frankly, like here, maybe it was just time for a time change. Time for a change. Okay. Right. Okay, well, I feel like we've we've hit the GM uh, yeah. portion. I we mean, fixed I, the Mavs. We fixed the Mavs. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, it really doesn't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, well, Mark Cuban is going to do what he wants to do. And if, and if he feels comfortable with Finley and he feels like he can – start a group uh head executives that can make the Mavs and Mike, successful that's and, and Mike's already been in a role where he's been part of the decision making process in the front office I think for example he had a heavy hand in selecting Jalen Brunson and the draft a couple of years ago for example I think that's one move that uh you know the reporting on that has been that that was a significantly pushed for move by Mike uh back in the 2018 draft with that with that pick early in the second round well, but it look, works Look, before we get to the well, I guess you're wanting to transition into coaching and all of and coaching ties into having good players. And so there is something I want to say right. on that here in a little bit. But but let's let's skip to whatever it is that you want to get to right now. Oh, well, no. <laughs> well, I, I let me ask a question about that real quick. Did you hear Jake and Dan last week talking about that? Perhaps Carlisle comes from kind of an old school way of coaching that modern day players, um, I guess, Gen Z or whatever, they don't, they don't really uh, relate to it's, it's, it's that hard ass. I'm going to, I'm going to dog you in front of your teammates. And, and a lot of these um, younger coaches that are relating to today's NBA player, a little more on the soft side, you know, they're still hard, but they, they, they relate better to the players. Did you hear that segment at all? Um, I did not hear that segment. I was okay. on. Well, that, I was on holiday. The recap of it. Yeah, I was on holiday in Mexico last week. For, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. even better than listening. So, well, let's hurry up so we can get to Tulum talk. <laughs> the so, sports so day talk app does not work it was, in Mexico. So. Was, yeah. <laughs> so I did not hear the segment. But yeah, they but, were basically speculating whether okay, you know, we love Rick, but perhaps it was time just because you know maybe Rick's way of doing things just doesn't translate to. Um, this generation of NBA players that's coming up. Well, uh, let me. I'm going to let you finish, Mark. But I, I yeah. think what my criticism again of of Mark uh, Cuban, the other one, um, is again that he's just, frankly, he's just a bullshitter. And I'm like, okay, if you if you have a problem, and you know there's a problem, everyone will be like. Obviously, we probably need a change, and we would probably be frank with it. It's kind of like a doctor going. Yeah, I don't know, man. You're probably gonna die. It's it's. I hate to be <laughs> bearer of bad news. You know, I would almost appreciate that doctor than a doctor who's bullshitting me. Going, you know, if we have one more surgery, we might be able to get this thing. You know, where 
I think that's, again, what what Mark Cuban had a problem with, and I think he got a huge criticism with with this Tim Cato uh, article, was he was just calling it bullshit. And I'm like, well, is it bullshit? Or do we really have issues here? And, like, let's address them. It's not a big deal. Like, and then whenever it's kind of the the cover-up's worse than the crime type of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying this is a cover-up, but I'm saying in the sense of, no, everything's fine. And then your GM leaves and then your coach leaves. Everything's not really fine. And it's not. <laughs> you can't pretend like it's fine. Well, look, a lot of ground to cover with all of that. I thought your recap, Jacob, was good about that segment last week. So what I would say to that is I, I'm not going to sit there and say that there's not merit to that thought process. You know, Rick is going to be 62 years old later this year. Wow. Um, you know, I do know that Papa in his – in his case, he was trying to make changes. Uh, I've heard him talk in interview sessions before about watching, uh, you know, studying psychology things and watching documentary. He, he told us about some documentary that he watched and called In Search of Greatness. And it, you know, it profiled high level athletes and dealing with high level athletes. And, you know, look, when it came to Luca, I mean, I don't think you could argue that. I mean, he gave Luca an enormous amount of freedom. You yeah. know, if, if there were, if there are personality clashes, and look, we all saw that Luca would get mad about certain things. He got, he got very mad about the timeout in the in the fourth quarter of Game uh, Six, as he should have. I thought that was a, I did not like that decision, and I, I well, thought. Can that, I interject a little more information before you finish? Yeah, uh, sure. The the big example they cited was. Uh, Luca wasn't so much upset about how he was treated, but how Rick would treat other players like his good friend, Sala Mejuri. They said, yeah, uh, okay. And, and I guess I did hear maybe the hard line brought that up. Uh, oh, I didn't hear that, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that, that's what Luca's, that, that's where they speculate Luca's beef was not so much how Rick treated him, the superstar, but you know, his, like, like you said earlier, um, Luca loves his teammates and his teammates love him. So yeah. when he sees Rick just dogging solid measure, that may not sit well with, with Luca, despite well, how he's treated personally. I, I can't speak to personal knowledge of that, but as, as, and I'm so glad you said and quoted what I said earlier, cause I was going to go the same thing. It's like, you know, uh, Luca does have great respect for his teammates. So, mm-hmm. you know, that he could have, uh, developed some animosity about that. Sure. I mean, I think that that's certainly a possibility. I can't speak to whether or not it, it whether, whether it is or isn't true, but I think that that's not, um, you know, an out of bounds direction to go in terms of assessing this whole situation okay. and this, assessing the dynamic of it. All right. To my stuff now. Sure. Okay. <laughs> but, I, but, 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 yeah. you know, I, no. I, I, is, is, has the game passed Rick by, or at least the relationship aspect of it. I mean, I don't know. It's going to pass yeah. everybody by at some point. I mean, you know, um, but I don't know if that's the case with Rick here. Um, you know, it's hard to be in one place for a long period of time and, right. uh, and have everybody still listen to that one voice. You know, the fact that he, you know, has been here as long as he has and Spolster in Miami and pop in San Antonio and Sloan as long as he was in Utah. I mean, that's, that's a long time to be in one place. And, and I don't think they concluded one way or another. It was just, you know, filling a segment, speculating. And they said, if that's the case, then it's probably good. We're going a different direction ahead. Coach. Well, look, I'm, was- I mean, I've got a lot of my own. Spe- I mean, you know, I mean, if, sure. we're, if we're throwing speculation out, I mean, one of the things one of the things that Damaris and I have talked about on our podcast is that going into this year. So Rick's going to have two years. Rick had two years left on his deal going 
So this was going to be, had he been here, this was going to be a very big referendum year on Rick. Yep. Because when you get to the last year of your contract, uh, you don't want to be, nobody wants the coach in a lame duck situation. Right. So you either get rid of the coach with a year left on his deal, or you give him an extension. And, and you know, look at how distracting it was when Nelly, remember way back in 2003, yes. I don't know if you guys remember that, but yes. Nelly coached a year on the last year of his deal. And man, it was a distraction all year long. And then the Mavs went to the conference finals. And so he got a new deal. Um, and so Nelly's not the kind of guy to just stay coy about that either. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> so when Petita did that with Mike D'Antoni. And then that year ended and D'Antoni, you know, moved on uh, and didn't come back at that point. So this was going to be a really big referendum season on Rick. And maybe after being here 13 years, maybe he didn't feel like he needed to be put in a position where he was going to be on a hot seat all year long, especially with the new general manager. And I've said this in other interviews. I'm sure that if he listens to me say this, he would say, well, follow Will. I'm always under the, I'm always under the microscope. I'm always under pressure. I'm always being evaluated. That's just part of the business. However, he was going to be more under pressure, more under the microscope, more evaluated than normal, in my humble opinion, this year. And maybe, you know, I, I'm sure this would be never be something he would admit publicly, uh, you know, it, but maybe he just didn't want to deal with that. Get him on the phone right now. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's no. knock it all out tonight. <laughs> I'll, I'll send him a text. We'll yeah, see if he gets back. I mean, it, I, I mean, it's, it's, for a guy like that, though, I mean, okay, I, I can't get myself in Carlisle's shoes, but you're like, I've already won a title. I mean, obviously, you would be fine to wear, win more titles, yeah. but be like, yeah, there's probably not going to be. There's, oh, I've I've squeezed all the juice out of this one. I think it's probably just. I mean, I wouldn't even. It's not a big deal. At the end of the day, like, it's not a big deal. Leave. Yeah, you know, sure. especially especially considering he said in his statement, I'm looking forward to the next chapter of my coaching career. And obviously, this is a really good offseason. Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was so great. The way he put it, yeah. he goes, yeah, I'm just not going to coach here. Like, no big deal. <laughs> All right. You know, look, look, from from my perspective on it, too. And I think why I don't know if you guys heard when I was on with Corby and Bob last week. I, I heard it. Yeah, and, and those and Corby was like, well, you know, don't you think this is going to be something that's super positive? And number one, man, I have no freaking idea if it is or not. I mean, this right. may turn out it's, to be great and blow you know, up in our faces. Yeah, it may right. be shitty. Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But, but for me, I'm just not at the whole like feeling super positive about it yet because. I have personal relationships with those guys and I'm going to have, you know, hopefully good personal relationships with whoever the next people that come in are. But, but Donnie was very good to me over the course of 20 plus years. Rick was really good to me over the course of 13 years and not just me, but everybody in our broadcasting wing of things, Coop and Harp and Skin and everybody, you know, Rick treated us with a lot of respect and a lot of trust, to be perfectly honest. We got to watch practices and shoot arounds some of the time. And there are a lot of NBA coaches who don't do that. So I appreciate how he treated me and the relationship that we had. So it's hard to see people like that walk away. And then the second thing about it is when a new GM comes in, a new GM is going to have a lot of his people who he's going to want in certain positions and the, the organization, which means people who occupy those current positions may not have a job with the Mavericks anymore. And the same thing for a new head, for a new head coach, potentially. Now, you know, they may elevate Jamal Mosley, which would be fantastic. I love Jamal. I think that would be a great choice as the head coach. So maybe a lot of things would stay the same in terms of player development and assistant coaches, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, the domino effect of moves like this is, 
that it could impact a lot of people within the organization. And when you have personal relationships with people, then it impacts you a little bit more because I'm not on the outside looking in and all, you know, if you're a fan, I get it. You're thinking about results of the team. And I just want my team to be as good as they possibly can. And let's win another title as soon as possible. And let's, you know, if this moves us down the road, then that's all I'm thinking about. And I think that'll be great if this moves us down the road in that direction. But right now it's just still kind of hard to wrap my head around that because yeah. there's still going to be, um, for lack of a better term, collateral damage uh, in terms of, you know, probably some more changes that are going to happen because of all this. And that's going to make me sad. This is, yeah. this is the damn sport that you're in. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it's part I, of it. Man. I, no, I, I really actually really liked your note. I thought it was, uh, if you look on Instagram, Mark put this, Long damn thing about uh, <laughs> Carl yeah. Allen. Gravity is not my strong suit. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, no. I think it was it was great because I think it it you know it personalizes a lot of these things. Like like uh, we can sit here and bitch and moan about oh we need to have a new offense, we need to yeah. do better in drafting and all this stuff. But it's like well. I love Donnie Nelson and like <laughs> as a legitimate, like I, like I like the guy and Carlisle was really good to us. And, you know, I think that uh, it puts a little bit more humanity into where sure. we just go, we get rid of them and we need to yeah, start yeah, yeah. over. And it's like, well, there's, well, there's yeah. more to it. I mean, there's yeah, the I, and I have a great relationship with those guys, but that also doesn't mean that I'm not going to say to y'all, like I said earlier, I think Rick made a mistake calling a timeout with 7:17 left in the fourth quarter of game six when we were up by one and just got the ball back off an offensive foul by the Clippers. I don't understand why we called a timeout then, and neither did Luca because you can see him in the huddle pounding his fist yes. on his leg saying, you called a timeout and we don't need it. You know, you could see how upset he was. Yeah. Um, I think it was a mistake to take Luca out of the game and to do the normal rotation when you're up 30 to 11 in game three. And that let the Clippers right back in the game. And that was arguably the catastrophic moment of the series. Yeah. Um, I think Dwight Powell should have played more in this series. Yep. I don't understand why that didn't happen. So, you know, there are friendships and there are relationships with with those people. But I'm also enough of an honest professional. And I, I think that my opinion about it uh, not that they're asking me how to coach the team, but I think that I can at least state my opinions and, you know, back them up and then be respected. And people say, well, gosh, we know why did Paul Bill feel that way about Carlisle and some of his coaching moves? It's like, you know, the guy's not infallible, but he's still a hell of a coach and, you know, a guy who I had a good relationship with. And I think he's going to help whatever the next franchise is that he's going to go to. And we'll so, see what happens with us. As we uh, start to wrap up um, pretty soon, my last thing is on that note with your relationship with Rick and or Donnie, do you have any fun, interesting, semi-untold stories about either of them from y'all's days together? Um, back to celebrating a championship or I don't know, anything. Just, uh, you know, and we started late, so we have more, we have more time. You know, we have a little bit more time here. So we're not, but, but, but. Mark is granting us time because we have, we have audio so look rick took coop and i and was extremely generous by the way i mean uh i can assure you that there were times that coop and i tried to pay and it was never allowed so rick you know took coop and i to some some dinners and lunches on the road and, you know, and, and harp and skin were part of that at times as well. But, but, you know, like there was, I, I guess probably one of the funniest stories would be that, you know, 
when it came to phones a long time ago, I was a pretty slow mover in how I transitioned from the flip phone era of cell phones into the smartphone era of cell phones. And so we were at Fuddruckers in San Antonio. And I think I had bought like a Blackberry Bold or something like that on, or some sort of, some sort of Blackberry. I had bought it on eBay. Give me a year just so I I can. 2009. Maybe, okay. maybe even 2010. Right around the first iPhone, right? No, no. Yeah. I mean, that would be like iPhone 2 or 3, maybe. We were getting really? there. Yeah, okay. Maybe so, yeah. Well, I had a, I had a BlackBerry, uh, but it was, you know, it was a pretty old BlackBerry. And so somehow the phone was out on the table, and he started looking at, looking at that, and it's like, what is this? This thing, you know, it's like, this thing looks like a fucking sundial, you know? <laughs> and and it's just, you know, yeah. That, and, and so the, like... Uh, for the rest of dinner, it's like, you have got to get rid of this. You know, th- you know, this is what you need to think about. And, you know, here's like a black, and he was a Blackberry guy too. He ended up giving that up. And so then maybe about a year later, another discussion about phones came up and he goes, look, you've got to get rid of the Blackberry thing, man. And I think I had upgraded Blackberries since then and got a, you know, a much more modern one. And he started talking up Samsung galaxies. And, um, you know, so at that point, you know, a few weeks later, it's like, Hey Rick, here's my galaxy that I just got. So, um, and then we were at a dinner probably two or three years ago and we, we were talking about phones and you know, this, it may be even the phone that I have right now, the, the, I have an S 10, maybe this is still on the S eight. I don't know which one, which one it was, but he grabbed, it's like, well, I don't why do you have your, your apps are so disorganized. I don't understand why you have your apps like this. And don't you realize that you can put like your frequent, you can put like a, a um, on your on your touch screen you know you can put people that you call the most you can put a picture of them and then you can just call them or text them that way why do you have to go to your contacts or your most recent calls or something like that i don't understand what you're doing here so and it's just like he could not stand it that i wasn't doing it my phone the way he thought i should be doing my phone so it was uh you know those are some funny stories are from you about our... to tell us that you have an s10 yeah yeah galaxy s10 is that bad are we on 20 or I th- <laughs> no, I thought you were mainstream Mark. This is, <laughs> I got this. So I got this phone two years ago. This is oh, a this okay. is, uh, May of 2019 phone. I have to admit, I went back to iPhone. So I'm a little, uh, I'm a little behind on that, but God, what, what, what Samsung are they on right now? I don't know what galaxy we're on right now, but, 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 uh, you know, and then sometimes it would be like when we were at a pizza place in Houston one night and he's like, you know, uh, what, 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 uh, you guys listen to country music very much. And, you know, Coop and I were like, no, I mean, not really. I mean, I like some of the older stuff. It's like, well, you guys, you guys started, got to start listening to like Miranda Lambert. You know, you guys you wouldn't believe like how good her music is. She has so much energy in her music and the, and just, there's so much passion the way she sings. You guys, you know, I've been listening to her lately. You guys got to start listening to Miranda Lambert. So, and there were, I mean, you know, he loved the Grateful Dead. Huh. He's yeah. a deadhead. Yeah, yeah. So his first so uh his first date with his wife was a Grateful Dead concert in Boston. Yes. Where supposedly <laughs> that's, where that's, supposedly that's... like Bill Walton left him the tickets and it all worked out, he said. Okay, you know, all but, right, all right. Yeah, Bill Walton arranged for the tickets to get left for for Rick and his wife to be on their particular date. We, and I heard a story about that and just Rick comes um, off as the, like, okay, I read a book of like, uh, Eric Clapton. I know Eric Clapton is already like a, 
a legend in himself, but he, he, he talked of a story of like, hey, I, w- I was in a bar and then uh, the Beatles just wandered in and they had the, I can't remember what album that they had. They had, maybe it was the, you know, what's the, uh, it's not the White Album, but maybe it's the one after that. And they were like, yeah, and we just uh, sat and listened to the Beatles album and dropped acid. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Carlisle has those, those stories where he's hanging out with, Bill Walton and and all, whatever you know, Larry Bird or something like that. He is and Jerry, and Jerry Garcia from the Grateful <laughs> Dead shows up. And I mean that uh, he he's he's an under, underrated guy Vince around Mel, here. Vince Melnick is there. Yeah, you know, the late Vince Melnick shows up or something like that. And yeah, for sure. Okay, can we can we? He was before, but he was into the dead after Ronald Pigpen McKernan. Of course, we can't forget, you know, to make some sort of reference to the. All right, Jacob, give me three minutes, two minutes on (laughs) Pigpen. Yeah, give me, give me, give me two minutes on Ronald Pigpen McKernan, Jacob. Yeah, I got nothing. (laughs) He was a keyboard player for the dead way back when, and then he left us far too soon. Give me three seconds. I'm about to say, Jerry Garcia, (laughs) name another uh, Grateful Dead guy. I can't. Okay. I own Jerry Garcia because. A cross Canadian ragweed song way back in the day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. but look, Rick was a guy with a lot of, you know, had a lot of personality and a lot of depth to him and a lot of interest of things. And no, oh, man, the the conversations were good, you know. And, and he was, uh, you know, uh, I, I wrote in my little thing that you saw on Instagram. I mean, yeah. like, I don't know why Coop showed him the picture of my busted up face that I had sent him for my bike wreck. I'm, I don't know why he did that, but he did. And Rick is like texting. He's like, Coop just showed me the picture, man. Are you okay? What's going on? What happened? Um, how are you doing? And, you know, uh, there was a very, very warm, personal, genuine side with both of those guys. Uh, obviously, you know, you have an exterior in that business. You know, a lot of people are coming at you and they want a lot of things from you. And so it takes time to penetrate that exterior. But those guys were, you know, once you've done that, I think with a lot of us around the Mavs, I would all, we would all say that we were treated well by Rick and Donnie both. Yeah. As long as you're interviewing them on the ticket. (laughs) (laughs) No. Oh my God. Uh, Can we talk about the, the best ticket moment for Carlisle was, was Sean Bass's question. Yeah. No. No. Others, man. There's some others that's real. Uh, that that's got to be top, whatever top one. I don't, I don't know. Okay, so uh, we're getting into coaching. Uh, you obviously we have Jamal. Mo- you, you, Can you give give me like a few minutes on Jamal. Mo- I'm for guys like me who uh, we, we pass Rick Carlisle. We don't know those other guys on the bench. So Jamal's been an assistant with the Mavs since 2014. Um, he played college basketball at Colorado. He played professionally in Europe. Uh, he never played in the NBA, but he did play professionally for several seasons in Europe. And then he was, and I, I think, I, I, forgive me for, for forgetting, I think Milwaukee was the team that he was an assistant at before he came to us, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't remember. But he joined the Mavs in 2014, and he's worked his way up from being a player development assistant coach, that level, like behind the bench. You know, like the front row guys on the bench this year were Jamal, uh, Zach Guthrie, and Mike Weiner. Um, and then you have other assistant, and then you have several other assistant coach and those, but you're only allowed three assistant coaches to sit with the head coach on the front row. Um, so he was a back row assistant coach when he started and several years ago moved up to the front row and primarily has been in charge of working on defensive game plans and things like that. 
but he also works out players. And so he has a really good relationship with Luca. And whenever Rick had that false positive COVID test before the New York game in early April, Jamal found out about two hours before the game, he was going to coach the team and, you know, the team won the game and the locker room afterwards went bananas whenever Jamal walked in there and they're like dousing water all over him and, you know, jumping around and, you know, it's like a mosh pit kind of thing in there. And so I think he's, well, I don't think, I know he's extremely thought of extremely well by the team, Luca in particular and the rest of the team. And so I think that would be an overwhelmingly popular choice within a locker room to promote him. Okay. There are obviously differences when you move from one, when you move one chair over to the big chair, there are obviously differences. And, you know, he could be with Luca, for example, he could be sort of a filter. Um, you know, the head coach is like, I'm frustrated with the head coach. And Jamal could say, well, look, this is what he's trying to get across. And this is what he's trying to accomplish. And this is what he wants and et cetera, et cetera. And he can't do that. You know, now that he's the head coach, somebody else is going to have to be that filter. The relationship changes between everybody. So there's challenges to that. But it's obviously worked in plenty of other instances. And he's a great basketball man. And he's a heck of a guy. And, yeah, I would I would support that fully. Heck of a guy. Yeah, yeah, well, he he is the he is the favorites on odds shark. So interesting. Okay. Yeah, he's he's a minus uh, one ten. What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, that's um, you know, it's funny when when that happened early in the season, like you were talking about, Mark. Um, I, that's I honestly started to wonder about Rick right then. You know, I said <laughs> no, I, I think I predicted yeah. it. I was like, if. If uh, they are looking to start thinking about going a different direction, I wonder if this guy would be the next guy in line. As you should. I mean, look, he's he was getting he's gotten head coach interviews in other with other organizations for head coach openings in each of the last two off seasons, and he is, I assume, still going to have an interview with Boston this off season. I mean, that's the last yeah. I heard. That was over a week ago that it was reported he was going to have an interview with the Celtics. So I assume that that would still be the case. You know, unless 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 it's been communicated to him, uh, you know, you're the guy you're going to be the guy here and just be patient. You know, we got to, you know, get the new GM in here and get him all on board with that and whatever. But but, you know, who knows? And second on the list is Becky Hammond. Um, Do you think there's even an outside? I know she's a finalist in the Portland job right now. Yes, that is correct. Man, I've done my research today. Um, (laughs) You're all on it. um, Do you think that's a possibility? At all? Um, yes, but I don't think it's a strong possibility. Okay. Yeah. I, I think mean, that I, my, my, my feeling on it, which uh, a lot of my feelings on things have been wrong before, but if I were to guess right now who the top candidates are, um, you know, I, I would lean towards people who have connections to the maps. Um, Jamal Mosley, who's obviously been here, who's obviously here. Um, Terry Stotts and Jason Kidd. Oh, you know, those would be... I have to. I have to admit, I don't know the Jerry, uh, Terry Stotts connection. So he was an assistant coach on the championship team. No shit. All right. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. So Rick came here. Okay. When Rick came here in 2008, his lead assistants were Terry Stotts and Dwayne Casey. And by the way, Becky Hammond and Terry Stotts are tied in odds. Really? Yes. That's what they have right now. But I mean, so so, so tell me the odds. I'm curious. Uh, so Terry Stotts at plus six hundred. I mean, uh, so in order. Uh, so Becky Hammond and Terry Stotts are at plus six hundred. Okay. They're they're tied. Jason Kidd is at plus eight hundred. Um, <laughs> God, I hate what's this Jamal? Yeah, Jamal what's is at uh, at a uh, minus one ten. He's the well, he's overall a, favorite. He's a clear favorite. He's the clear favorite. 
Are Becky Hammond and Stott second and third? Second, uh, they're tied for second. Okay. okay. Um, Jason Kidd's at eight, uh, eight hundred at you know for third, I guess. But uh, uh, man, I'm sorry, I don't know what this guy's name is. Uh, Ami Udoka. Ime Udoka. So he's an assistant coach on Popovich's staff in San Antonio. Jacob's laughing. Yeah, I've never heard of him either. So okay. he played. He played for several years in the league. And he's an assistant on pop staff and he's considered, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a head coach in the not too distant future, whether or not it's this year or not, I don't know, but he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a sought after assistant coach. It, it seems like he's got long odds, but okay. It's interesting to hear who the hell he is. And yeah, I'll probably you, just put my money on Jamal. Yeah. And the rest for John Calipari and, and Dan Tony. So, so Dan Tony would be interesting. I, you know, I don't think they'll go that way because he's 70 years old. Yeah, but you could know, you imagine Dan Tony running an offense with Luca as the lead guard? No, that would be really cool because okay, try it and then it doesn't work, and then you go mm-hmm. with something else. Is really I I'm just honest with but this. You don't have time for that. I, I know you don't, but I feel like this seems like an Avery hire in the sense of like let's uh, we're getting from a longtime coach. So get Avery in here, and then then right. we're gonna really find the dude. That's that's literally just how I feel. I know I'm I'm going off of. Well, they can't uh, be. The clock's ticking. Man. I know the clock. Yeah. Uh, well, the clock is ticking because of it's uh, different Luke. circumstance. Yeah. And you know, one thought that came to my mind to as know. soon as I heard the Rick news, I was like, "This makes me excited for KP next year." Okay, Not I, have that to, I have to Rick's ask. Why, why is the clock ticking though? Because he signed. Because he's about to sign his, his extension. And then he's oh. going to have a time when he would be an unrestricted free agent. Okay, okay, okay. And okay. so when he's an unrestricted free agent, trade if he wanted to. Yeah. So so you could have a you know it can go any number of ways. It what's can the, go the, what's the timeline way. for for Luca really? Um, well, before I get to that, so it could go okay, the Giannis go way, which is Giannis was eligible for his supermax extension after seven years, and he decided to sign it and stay in Milwaukee. But if he had not signed it, then clearly that would have meant that this would have been this could have been his free agency year, or they might have had to trade him. Right. And look at what Anthony Davis did in New Orleans. Anthony yep. Davis forced his way out. So at some point, six or seven years, or six to eight years into having a player of Luca, Anthony Davis, Giannis, whatever, the crossroads is going to come where you've either got to have yeah. a championship contending team built and the guy wants to stay there, or you don't, and the player may force his way out. Yep. Very so that's point. why the clock is ticking. Very good point. Very good so, point. So the extension that Luca will sign will be one of two things. He can sign a five-year extension uh, ah. that's worth, I think, $201 million. Now, it w- he would sign it this offseason, and then it would kick in next year. Okay? It would kick in for the 2022-2023 season. Gotcha? Okay. So he'll do one of two things. He'll either sign a four-year with uh, – he'll sign a five-year deal, and the fifth year is a player option. Or he'll sign a four-year deal, and the fourth year is a player option. The reason he would do that is it would put him on the marketplace in 2025, which is when all the TV contracts are up. So therefore, the new TV contracts, which will probably have a pretty exorbitant right, uh, rights fee increase, and so therefore, the salary cap will jump big that offseason. And that would be a really opportune time to be a free agent who would be eligible for a max salary, which at that t- point in time, depending on how many all NBA selections he has, could be 35% of the cap. So so the, the, bus- the, the smart business move is a four-year deal with the fourth year as an option and become a free agent in 2025. 
he may decide, I don't want to accelerate things quite like that. I don't want to have to think about that a year too soon. I'll still make a shit ton of money in 2026, which you will, obviously. <laughs> Give and it so, yeah. you know, I'll sign a five-year deal and the fifth year will be a player option. So it'll be one of those two things, I assume. Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Again, basketball dumb guy over here. Sorry. I had, on the I, dumb podcast. <laughs> on the dumb podcast. There you go. Yeah. He gets it. <laughs> Okay, so let's. Okay, I have to. I have to. The, the funny. I forgot to tell you guys the funny coach story I was going to tell you. So, like, it. yeah, the 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 funny Nelly story. So my first game I ever did was, and I always appreciated this from Nelly. So March fourth, two thousand, in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. I was you know, the first game I got to do radio play by play as a fill in. And the PR guy for the Mavs at the time, Greg Elkin, walks me into the locker room before the game because I have to do the pregame radio interview. You know, that's a four or five minute interview with Nelly. And I had, you know, been to practices and Nelly might have known my face, but he damn sure didn't know my name or anything like that. So, you know, Greg introduces me and says, hey, you know, he's filling in for Matt Pinto tonight. So he's going to do the interview. And and, you know, he's all like, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, good deal. And he goes, well, um, I need to go, uh, you know, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. He goes, you got any whiskey to put in my coffee or anything like that? It's like, no, well, uh, if I were going to do that, Nelly, I'm more of a tequila guy. So that, that would be what I would want. He's like, oh, okay. And he goes, well, uh, wait here for me. I got to go run and take a piss and then I'll be right back. And then we'll do the interview. And so the fact that he was just saying all this stuff about, you know, going to the bathroom and whiskey and his coffee, I think in my mind, I felt like that that was, him being like real, like just loosey goosey and fun and saying funny stuff. Cause I'm sure he sensed here's this kid. He's probably nervous as hell. And so he just did all this goofy stuff to try to like kind of lighten the mood. And I always like, that's, that's a funny coach story that I have. And I've never forgotten it. Obviously now 21, 22 years later. That sounds so him. Yeah. I always appreciate that because I felt like it was just, you know, it was, it was his way of trying to make the situation uh, as easy as possible for somebody who I'm sure he sensed was very, very nervous about it. Well, hang on. Tequila and the coffee, huh? Well, no. He well, was more of a tequila drinker than he I am. He just said he drink. would do tequila. It's just, oh, just, okay. Yeah. Separate yeah. from the coffee. Okay. But there yeah. is something, you know, have you ever heard of a Mexican coffee? It's a tequila. Yeah. No, I think I'm about to have my world turned upside down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark was just at Tulum, so I'm sure he had a couple of those. Yeah, uh, a few sips of mezcal, not many tequilas or anything like that. No, so. you you've got to have a yeah. That's where yeah. it usually is. So let me uh, read from a guy. Uh, everybody knows Rylan, right? Rylan Rowe. Rylan. Oh, Rylan. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, of course. So mm-hmm. I'm going to read just a, a little bit off of his because I think this really en- encapsulates kind of how a lot of folks are feeling. Um, uh, this isn't a. Uh, this is from him. Uh, this isn't about having an outspoken analytics guy. It's about having a guy so widely disliked that it came out in the media about having ambiguous. Uh, sorry, fo structure. I'm sorry. Front office. Front office, front office structure. <laughs> and about f- uh, failing to evaluate 30-year-old global pro ba- basketball lifers versus Twitter gambling dork that goes on podcasts. By the way. Uh, Will, will he come on the podcast? Oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing no. <laughs> okay, uh, but I may I may turn out to be too anxious about all this, but I'm really on a good streak being right about the wrong things. So I want an opinion. Let me know. Embarrassingly, hope Ryland appreciates this. But 
Mr. Bob Vulgaris, what are your thoughts on him? And is he still with the team? Is he going to be part of the team? Because it seems that I know it's it's kind of a uh, a common denominator thing with him that he was brought in and then a mass Texas comes on with the GM mm-hmm. and the head coach. So I have no idea what his future is with the organization. I know that the reporting said that his contract was up and you know, we'll see if he's going to be with the organization moving forward. I don't have the slightest idea okay. whether he is or isn't going to be um, my face-to-face interactions with Bob over the last time that he's been with the Mavs have been pretty limited, but they've been very positive. Um, in terms of, you know, hey, man, you know, when I'm not around the team, I watch the broadcast, great job. And I've asked him, you know, thoughts on uh, basketball analytic philosophy type things and have had some intriguing discussions that, you know, out of uh, respect for, you know, I don't I don't know that he wants me to get on a, a public forum and share what those are. Uh, but we had some we had some very positive and interesting and enlightening basketball analytic type discussions about, you know, this is my theory about this and this is my theory about, you know, X, Y, Z and that sort of thing. But you find them interesting at least. Absolutely. So that doesn't mean that they're all that doesn't mean I think they're all right. Yeah, but, but you I don't mean, find he, them he all right. It has but, a unique way of looking at the game. So but is there a maybe it's a personality thing where. This guy comes in. <laughs> I mean, it, it has well, to I can't, be. I can't speak to what his relationship with those other people. I'm not, not saying. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying you could. Yeah. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't. I don't think you ever could. But uh, it it definitely comes off kind of weird. And I, it, it is fun. Uh, not fun, but funny to to see a lot of the analytical guys that I know come in and go. Yeah, man, I, I'm all for these analytical stuff. Or Ryland's one of those guys, and he goes, "But this guy's just too, maybe over the top and abrasive. He's he's the Corby of Mavericks, and <laughs> and not able to fully, uh, I don't know, put place himself and have it coexist." Is, is, what, you, is what you're trying to say? I feel like what you're trying to say. Tell me is... what I'm always trying to say because I'm always bad at what I'm trying to say. What you're trying to say is sometimes, and I think that this is true in a lot of situations in uh, different companies, and I don't mean to sound like I'm stereotyping, but sometimes people that are very, very good in data and numbers and things like that uh, don't necessarily have the best best people skills. Is that what you're trying to say? Mm-hmm. I, I think I so. I feel like I that's mean, the direction you're going, it's, right? It's, okay, I, my best friend Jacob has really bad, I don't know, I'm, I'm just in a sense of like, yeah, people skills. You're just, you just splurt things out and you're like, dude, why would you just say that? You're Where, saying Jacob doesn't have a filter? <laughs> well, I'm just moving him as a as a uh, example. So. Sure. <laughs> so... Well, again, you know, like I said, I can't, I, all I can speak to is my interactions with him have been positive. Uh, what his future with the organization is, I don't know. And what his, the dynamic of his relationship with other people, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to come on here and dispute the reporting that took place in, by, by another person. You know, yeah. I, I respect other people's reporting, so I'm not going to sit here and dispute it or argue it. All I can say is I can't, you know, add anything to what the dynamic was like with, with him and other people. Uh, that were discussed in the in the article. Well, it it, it just be, brings up a good question as far as from my uh, people that I trust as analytical guys that they're even coming to the 
maybe the realization that maybe this experiment isn't the best. And I I wonder how we go forward. Okay, you're going to have a new front office. You're going to have a new head coach. Do you keep this guy on here that maybe – I'm not saying it's a toxic situation, but he maybe rubbed people the wrong way. And so, I don't know. You could always keep the person on and they're in a role where there's less interaction. I think that could be a good mm-hmm. thing. Where, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that could be probably where it may go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the thing to always, like, I, I know you didn't necessarily ask me this, but the thing about analytics that I always feel like, my my feelings on it is it's good to have a system uh i think it's always great to be looking for you know what the um you know best way to play is and you should always be trying to evolve and things like that um but you also have to realize that look you know uh, not every game is the same over the course of a long season you've got to be able to win games different ways and you know my, my perfect example of analytics is game seven of 2018 uh, and this, sound, this sounds like maybe a little bit of a negative analytic take, and I don't necessarily mean it is, but sometimes you will hear guys say, you know, we have to shoot threes. You know, it's either threes or layups. Threes are better than twos. And I think about Houston, 2018, game seven. Chris Paul's hurt. Uh, they have a lead over Golden State, and then they proceed to miss 27 straight threes. And, you know, Chris Paul is a, one of the great mid-range players in the game. And I think that if he's healthy for that game, then he's going to say, fuck the analytics. I'm not worried about shooting a three. I'm going to go down. I'm going to get my little free throw line pull-up jumper off a pick and roll that I always am able to get, that I've knocked down way more than 50% of the time when I've shot it throughout the course of my entire career. I'm going to go down and get that. I'm going to get us a bucket. I'm going to get us another bucket like that. And I'm going to stabilize this thing so we stop falling apart because we're in the middle of missing a whole bunch of threes. So I think, you know, every game takes on its own personality and you have to be able to adapt to all of those things <laughs> over the course of games. And that's that's my sort of thought on, you know, uh, threes are better than twos, but we're also, we're not two people standing on opposite sides of the gym just trying to accumulate points as, fit, as quickly as we can. There is yeah. an ebb and flow and each game has its own little ecosystem. And, you know, a two is better than zero. Three may be better than two, but two may be better than zero. So you've got to be able to adapt to what the game calls for on that particular moment. That's, no, I, that's my, my limited thought on there's tremendous value in analytics, but also um, there's tremendous value in being able to read and react to whatever the current situation of that night's game calls for. I think that's fine. Um, I guess we'll end on uh, KP. Will he see the next season as a Maverick? <laughs> I was about to say, well, of course he's going to see the next he season. Will, will he? Uh, <laughs> no, well, I'm sure he will. But yes. no, in a Mavericks uniform. Um, I'm not convinced that that's 100% certainty. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously not 100% certainty, but I mean, I guess it all depends on the new uh, regime and and do they have plans for this guy and if or do they not will they go yeah we really don't i think that they'll explore what's out there and uh if nothing satisfactory is out there which you know there's probably a pretty limited trade market for him then they'll make the best of the situation uh obviously the ideal situation i mean he's better uh, his talent is better and his ceiling is better than anybody they could trade him for at this right. point. So that would be the ideal scenario. Um, but the sure. game is changing, you know? For and so sure. can, 
yeah, can can he get back to the to the player that was averaging thirty points and nine rebounds in that bubble stuff that you didn't watch last year? I would love to see <laughs> yeah. him under a new coach. Can he get back set? to that player? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's that's the kind of the deal there is. I'm almost. I know. Again, I'm not the basketball genius here, of course. Um, but I was like, man, you have KP. It seems like he be pretty great. Let's. I think you maybe ride one more on this with a new coach. Yeah. And especially, I mean, if we were talking about Donnie Stan and Carlisle Stan, I would be like, ah, they weren't able to produce for KP. Mm-hmm. We can't. We can't do that. But now I'm like, you know, let's find someone who can possibly keep these both guys uh, together and then let's see what happens. And if it doesn't work out for next year, let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. My my gut is they'll, they'll see what the options are and probably realize unless something comes way out of the blue, probably realize that the options aren't ideal. And it's like, you know, let's get this guy back to what he was last year. Let's try to do that. So that, that would be my gut on how it's going to turn out. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there'll be entertaining phone calls as they do, by the way, on every player every year, not named Dirk or Luca. Exactly. I mean, even uh, Rafe LaFrance, what's his name? Rafe LaFrance. Yeah. Even he got traded. So yeah, (laughs) if he can get every contract's tradable, man, every contract just depends on what kind of contract you want to take back. For oh, sure. What you have to attach to get rid of the contract, you know, to get somebody to take it on. What kind of uh, tip you have to, what kind of sweetener you have to attach to it. For sure. Well, I appreciate you. Um, you got it, man. Uh, I I feel like we went pretty long and I, I feel like we got a lot. There was a lot of meat on the bone this week. So. For sure. There was. There was, man. Uh, yeah. Um, can you, okay, I don't want to get into soccer, of course. I mean, <laughs> I know you would like to. What other... What other sports do you follow other than soccer? Man, I had that same question, actually. <laughs> um, I love college football and pro football. Um, I like cycling a lot, so I watch all the Tour de France stages oh, okay. coming up. Okay. Are you good with Where the, do you have uh, with the College World Series? You tuned into that? Did you fill out a bracket? I did not. No. Okay, next no. year we'll get Mark we'll Fall on the Curry I Cup. I actually run a college baseball bracket challenge, so maybe we can get you <laughs> in I, I was curious about how – I wanted uh, – since they were local, I was hoping DBU was going to make it to the college. Well, they beat my frogs, so yeah. know, I was a little bitter about that. I have you know, they're a good team. My, my very quick thought on baseball is that the game has changed so drastically in the last few years, and there's – and because I can't be in tune with the game all the time and watch it all the time, right. and so therefore uh, – Babip and Fifth and all this <laughs> stuff that's referred to. I mean, it's like the game is spoken in a language that I don't understand. It's like I grew up with, you know, the the common language of baseball. And man, when I was a kid, yeah, of course. And when I was a kid, like a summer day would be an exercise in just passing the time and watching reruns of the Andy Griffith show and stuff like that. And the Beverly Hillbillies until the Ranger game came on that night when I was 14 or 15 years old, man, I couldn't wait to watch even in bad eras of Ranger baseball. I couldn't wait to watch them that night. I and mean, that was my favorite team growing up, but you know, it's just, I don't know, man, the language of, of how baseball is spoken about now is a language that I don't understand nearly as well as the previous language it was spoken in. So it's a little hard for me to watch the games until there's a lot riding on it. Well, I have the to... Dodgers one. I mean, I watched all the Dodgers world series stuff last year. Cause I like the Dodgers, but okay. Know. Hey, yeah. Hey, go Padres. Anyways, but, <laughs> But I, I, I'm sad to say, man, I have not watched very many Ranger games. Well, this year. I have to tell you, uh, Mark Follow, get into the College World Series. I am in. 
I have this, friends who are bigger. Uh, you're not the only as a non-sports guy. Bigger college baseball fans than pro baseball fans. These these games in this tournament, not just Omaha, have been spectacular. Yeah, there have been some really really entertaining games. Uh, this game going on right now, uh, Mississippi State was getting no hit until like the seventh, and now they're up five four in the eighth. It's, wow. it's crazy. I saw I had it on last night. And I saw that Al Leiter's son is pitching for Vanderbilt. Oh my right? god, he got beat somehow. Jack, he struck out fifteen. He gave up a home run. Solo home run. Gave up a home run. Yeah, so, it's crazy. That was I a great game. Say, too. All these games have been good. That Texas game today was really entertaining. We had a couple coaches. In they won, right? Yeah, yeah, they won. I, yeah, I had to t- I had to say again the reason why I was out last year was no fans, but now the college baseball has brought back the fans, in in full force, and that has brought the energy of the entire thing. And I yeah. and it was something where I was like, eh, I don't really care. Like you asked me two or three years ago, I didn't really care, but now with no fans compared to fans. It's just yeah. so, it's it's there's a different feeling to it. So and college baseball fans are pretty hard, man. They're pretty tough. Ooh, they are they brutal. Will, uh, yeah, they are brutal. They get after you, man. When they bring it's up the keys the at the end of it. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's it's my number one sport. <laughs> college baseball. Yeah, it is. You're the first person I've ever met. He I said. know. I, I'm weird. But <laughs> Jacob it, it, is. It's a not weird a judgment. Dude. It's just an observation. Well, no, going, going to TCU it's and then being nationally fun. elite helps with that. But yeah, I love the sport overall. Well, Good times, man. If we could, well, probably, I'll start. I'll start watching a little bit more this week. If we could pitch, you know, college baseball to Mark Follow, I think we did our our best. But man, hey, leaving my legacy in the world—that's you know. <laughs> what it's all about. <laughs> all right, Mark. Well, I I greatly appreciate it, and I have to say this again. I know you're about to be. I you said you're about to be fifty. No, I turned fifty-three three months ago. You you turned fifty. Oh. Yeah, Dude, I'm telling you. 51. I put I put I put. I put Corby Davidson and Mark Follow as as folks that I, I look at forever as 25. They're just always 25. It doesn't matter how old they get or whatever. But uh, Mark Follow in this city is a uh, should be put up on the pedestal as one of the great broadcasters in this city. And I greatly appreciate you coming on. And well, you, you guys, know, are, you guys yeah. are too nice, man. You no, no, are, I, I, I have to say, I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're great for this city. And I, 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 I can't say enough about it. I think you're foolish to come on this podcast, but it's, it's regardless of that. No but <laughs> My wife's yelling the same thing at me. Yeah, right now. I know. I, I, gra- <laughs> I greatly appreciate it, but it, it's getting dark and it, it's time to go. But I, I, Thank you a lot, Mark, and uh, yep. we'll hope to have you on the third time. We'll see what happens next year. Yeah, well, much love to you guys. All the best, and uh, you know, good luck moving forward with another dumb podcast. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thanks, You're Mark. awesome, Mark. <laughs> right, see you guys. See you, Take man. Care.